from the inside, it looked like we just had this good momentum. We were like going for this financial goal. But on the outside to our friends, they weren't there. They didn't understand. They were living their best life. And that was okay. It wasn't their time. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I cannot be doing this thing by myself, so let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's up, man? Not too much. Uh, you know, I just got back from Colorado last week, so got the skiing season kicked off, but this weekend, the big highlight was actually hanging out with all my friends, including you, Cody, as we had the Friendsgiving over at the house full of awesome homemade dishes that everybody brought. It was a good time. How about yourself, Cody? Well, I was just about to say the same thing, Justin. <laughs> I had a lot of fun at the Friendsgiving, you know, just kind of getting back from a hectic weekend because I know we talked last week, the courses just finished up. So that was a lot of work. But now just kind of getting back into the swing of things. And so speaking of the Friendsgiving, Justin, instead of us all, you know, going out to the bar, going out to some restaurants, spending hundreds of dollars, we kind of chose the frugal path. And that leads us into our guest today, Jen from the Frugal Friends podcast, who didn't start out as frugal, but now she is frugal to the core. But I'm not going to take away her whole story. Take it away, Jen. So I remember the exact moment. It was shortly after my husband and I got engaged. And he had just graduated college and he said, the first thing I want to do when we get married is pay off my student loans. And I said, that's not the first thing I want to do. And (laughs) I had, because I had double the amount of student loans he had. And I was not concerned about paying them off, mostly because I didn't think I had the money to. I didn't think I could afford it. So I told him specifically, I do not want to live my 20s under a rock trying to pay off our debt. Like this is the best time of my life. And he proceeded to tell me all of the things we could do if we were debt free. And instead of telling me why, like financially, we should be caring about our finances, he challenged me to think of all the things that I wanted to do and how much easier and more flexible they could be if we were financially stable. So the first thing I'd like to ask if you're comfortable is, you know, what level of debt are we talking about? Like, what are those figures? And then the second thing that I was curious about is when you kind of met him in the middle and you're like, okay, I get what you're saying. You know, it's appealing to you. Did you have any discussions on, okay, you know, I'm willing to cut back life this much in order to pay this off? Or, you know, was there any discussion about what the line was and how far you're willing to go? Yeah, definitely. We were about $78,000 in debt. We had my student loan, which was 50,000. His was 24. And then we had about four-ish on a car, and which was mine, obviously. And so we had quite a bit of debt and we did not bring in that much money. My husband was a recent college grad with no job. And I was only able to be employed part-time. Like there was no full-time work in my field. And so I, since I had more time, decided that I would side hustle my way out of debt instead of cutting down on my spending because I wanted to live life. I didn't want to, like I put it, live under a rock. But yeah, I didn't want to deprive myself and I, I just didn't get it. So I, I tried that for a few months, just all kinds of side hustles. Two months in, I remember it was right before Christmas, I got shingles because I was so overworked, so overstressed, and my body literally wouldn't let me function anymore. 
And that was the first time I thought, well, maybe I need to focus on my spending too. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So you get shingles because you're so overworked. And what were these side hustles? Like how many hours per day are you devoting? How much were you actually increasing your income by driving yourself to the point where you get shingles from stress? Right. So I had my main job, which was about 25, 30 hours a week. I got a weekend job, which was about 16 to 20 hours on the weekend. I was doing data entry before work in the mornings. And I was doing some like social media search engine evaluation as well. So those were all flexible and I could fit them in just every single minute I had free time. So I was literally working at all hours. Sometimes I would be at my regular job also doing my like data entry job and it was just <laughs> all messed up. But so compared to that 30 hours a week job, like how much money are you making with all these other jobs that are kind of like pick and choose the times you want to work? So my main job was paying me about 35 grand per year. And so I was probably with all of our side hustles, both of us combined, we're making about 88,000. So Travis was also doing driving Uber and he would pick up shifts. He's an aircraft mechanic. So he would do paperwork for mechanics that didn't want to do paperwork because I guess there's a lot of paperwork involved in being a mechanic. But he was also unemployed twice during that time. He was unemployed for the first few months we were married and then he got a job. And then after season, they laid everybody off and he was out of work for a few months again. So he side hustled a lot during that time. Okay. So let's say you're making, you know, somewhere around 75,000 after taxes. What do you think your spending was looking like as a total? And how much of that, you know, on a monthly basis was going towards those student loans? So when we started, we thought it was going to take five years to pay off our loans. And as we started gaining momentum, every month we were able to put more and more because we were just cutting expenses here and there. And what we thought would take five years turned out to take 23 months. And so we would be putting at least three grand, sometimes four at our loans every single month. So a substantial amount. We were living on way less than one income. Wow. Okay. That's pretty impressive. And one thing I really want to highlight because this gets overshadowed sometimes, of course, it's really jazzy to say, oh, I paid off this amount of student loans, but like the mindset is the craziest part. And you even yourself just said that like you had such a mental barrier. You're like, I don't want to live under a rock. Like I don't want to deprive myself and not enjoy my twenties. Could you talk about, and I've heard you talk about this before, how you kind of broke some of those bad habits and started to build better frugaler ones, like on a tactical level? Yeah. The mindset I feel is the biggest barrier because you can make a budget, you can get a side hustle, but eventually you're going to get bored and you're going to fall back into old habits. And if your mind isn't in the right place, you won't be able to form new habits and stick with them. So I had to work through like every time something came up. So like when I got shingles, like I had to experience it and sit back and think about, okay, so it might sound like a little existential, but like, why did this happen to me? Like, what should I learn from it? And that was the way I was able to figure out like, oh, I got this because of stress. How do I fix that work less? And how can I keep 
momentum, well, that means spending less. And so really taking time to think about the things in your life and plan for setbacks. That was another big thing. The shingles was a huge setback for me because I was like out of work for a whole week doing nothing. And for somebody that likes to go, 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 like even now, I don't work like a million hours a week, but I just had a baby five months ago. And I like being out of work for several weeks was like I was getting antsy. So for someone that likes to go, 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 like sitting down and being still was super, super hard. So yeah, kind of just like meditating and self-reflecting was a big foundational aspect of that. So can I go out on a limb and guess that for the first time in your life during this journey, you actually started tracking all of your expenses? Like, would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. And I hate tracking my expenses. I actually hate budgeting. I will be like super open about that. I have never been able to stick to a budget like an every dollar type budget in my whole life, even the 23 months we were paying off debt. But yeah, I did have to manually track my transactions. And for someone that hates doing that, the way I was able to do it was actually with a method called habit stacking. Have you guys heard of it? I have. Yes. James Clear. (laughs) Yes. So it's super popular in like the habit space, but Essentially, it's you take one habit you already have and attach another one to it that you want to build. So mine was at the end of the day, I'm brushing my teeth and I have my toothbrush in one hand and my phone in the other and I'm tracking my transactions. And it also caused me to like brush my teeth longer, which was an unexpected benefit. So yeah, so that's how I did that. I'd also like to ask, so You've doing this for the first time. You said that, you know, this is not necessarily your favorite thing to do in the world. You're not a huge budget person. But during that exercise, can you talk about like what you learn by doing it manually and not just simply using something like Mint? And also, what was like a category that really surprised you when you saw just how much you were spending on it? Manually tracking my transactions caused me to come face to face with my spending, which is definitely something I did not want to do because I knew I was going to Starbucks a lot and I didn't want to see how much I was going to Starbucks. But I wouldn't have been able to see that or feel that guilt, that healthy guilt for going to Starbucks so often if I wasn't doing it manually. So as inconvenient as it is for me now, sometimes I still have to manually track my transactions, even Like, even though we've been debt free for over two years, sometimes life just happens. You have a baby, your mind goes to somewhere. I don't know where it goes. I'm still looking for it. But I have to like reset and track those transactions to see how much I'm going to get fast food now. Like, that's my thing now, just trying to get out of the house with the kid in the car seat. But yeah, so that that is it. And yeah, Starbucks was my big thing then. Fast food is, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm being really vulnerable here. Fast food is it for me now. So Justin and I often talk about the big three, which are housing, transportation, and food. It sounds like fast food might be a little bit of a problem right now, probably something (laughs) you're actively working on. But so did you do anything in those other two like mega categories, housing and transportation? Did you change where you were living? Did you change the cars you were driving? Could you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we kept my car when it was paid off. And we've always driven low-cost, paid-for cars ever since. 
And for our housing, we actually lived in a tiny duplex that we found. My husband was actually going for a run looking for houses because all the ones that were advertised were out of our quote unquote price range. And the ones that were not advertised, but that you could just find with signs in front of the house, those ones tended to be cheaper. So he would go for runs and he would look for houses and apartments for rent that just had a sign. And that's how we found our first duplex that we lived in. And then right before we became debt-free, the owner wanted to turn it into an Airbnb and gave us six weeks to get out. So we actually, (laughs) yeah, we actually bought a home about five months before we became debt-free and it derailed us a little bit, but because we were so far into our journey and we were so close to the finish line, we were, we were able to get back on track. And the duplex was close to our jobs. So that was another benefit. That's kind of why we were looking like he was running in the areas we wanted to live so we could find something where we wouldn't have a long commute. So like Cody mentioned, you know, those big three things are obviously a huge part of your budget. And as you're working your way through doing your manual tracking, you know, you notice things like you noticed your Starbucks was costing you so much. And you started seeing some of those things that added up. As you started cutting those things back, was it kind of like a cold turkey thing? Or did you just start saying, you know what, I'm going to try to remove this from my budget for a month, see how it feels and kind of continue down that way? I am a definite, like I'm an all or nothing person. I'm either all in or I'm all out. And so I had to go on like a full detox and strip everything away in order to figure out who I am, like who my spending is telling me I am. So yeah, I wanted to separate who my spending was telling me I am versus who I really am. And so I had to go cold turkey. I did something that I call no spend challenges. And that's actually what my first book is called, The No Spend Challenge Guide, because I use them to figure out what I want to spend money on and what I don't want to spend money on. So it showed me, I mean, I already knew I had a Starbucks addiction, but it showed me how often I was really going there. But it also showed me that I really value coffee and not just like drinking it, but going to get coffee with friends and stuff. So that is something that I wanted to cut back on, but not eliminate. Whereas clothes, I would just go into Target and browse the clearance section and buy something on sale. I didn't really need it. And when I cut it, that habit out altogether, that was one of the things that I didn't miss at all. So now when I go to Target, I don't even go to the clothing section because I know I'm prone to buying sale stuff, but I really don't need it or want it. So I have a two-pronged question here. For people who do not know what a no-spend challenge is, could you just take a minute to give us an overview? And then the second part of the question, and it's something you just touched on now, and I want to make sure we don't breeze over it. And I know you talk about value-based spending. So could you kind of dig into that after we talk about the no-spend challenges? Yeah. A no-spend challenge is essentially picking an amount of time. So I usually do a month, but it could be a week, a weekend, a certain number of days, whatever, and you don't spend on anything personal. And it's super flexible. The point is to show you what you're spending on and whatever you're missing is what you really value. Whatever you don't miss is something you can give up. It's just to show you to separate the habits from the values. And so obviously you're going to pay your bills and your groceries and it's not a completely stop spending for a month, but anything that's not necessary, cut it out of the budget. So it's 
it's like two parts. One, it shows you what you want to spend money on and what you don't need to. And then two, it saves you a lot of money for the month. And that's money that you can put towards debt. And that's what I initially did them for. I did the no spend challenges so that we could have more money to put towards debt. But in the end, those are the things that helped me become the frugal person I am today and to be proud of it. The no spend challenges are what taught me value-based spending. So frugal, it tends to be like the most unsexy word. Like everyone is super about like entrepreneurship and retiring and all this stuff. But like when it comes to frugality, it's like, yeah, we're cheap, whatever. But I, I love frugality because it, it allows you to really know yourself. If you are only spending money on the things you truly love and you're indulging in those things, then you're practicing self-care and you're spending time with your family and you're spending your time in all of the places that you want to because you're not spending your money in places that you feel obligated to or you're just doing out of habit. So like I found that my friends were inviting me to all these bars every weekend and I was just going because that's what I did. But when I stopped going, I realized I actually don't. This isn't my scene. I don't want to be here. (laughs) So I stopped going because I just took the time out to pause and think about what I really wanted to do, which seems silly, but (laughs) nobody takes that time. I think it's a great segue into the topic of, you know, minimalism, because it got popular outside of the financial independence kind of space through, you know, documentary on Netflix, maybe a book. But sometimes people don't always associate that with finances. Like, can you talk about how, you know, maybe that's, it's been like a freeing experience to actually cut things. It's, it's not that it's hampered you. It's actually made things better. Right. So often frugality is associated with getting the best deal or saving a dollar or two on something. But I love minimalism because you can save all the money if you don't buy the things. And when you have a home that is only full of things that you use and not things that you just want to use or think you will use or whatever, like when your home is only filled with useful things or things that you love, then you don't feel the need to buy more things to quote unquote complete the look or to do something else like exciting. I don't know. I have an instant pot and I was able to get rid of like my slow cooker and do all these other things now because I have this all in one thing. And so I don't feel the need to like buy all of the other things that it does down the line just because I get inspired to. I don't need to do that. And so we just touched on two of your four pillars of frugality, I believe, the value-based spending and the minimalism. Could you talk about the other two, environmentalism and simplicity? Yeah. So environmentalism, because we are super advocates for thinking secondhand first. And you can save all the money you want on like cheap plastic stuff and cheap clothes. But in the end, it's horrible for the environment. And you save so much more by purchasing gently used things. So like thrift stores, Facebook marketplace, and like frugal people will already know this, but it's just connecting the two to be like, This isn't just something I'm doing to save money, but this is something I'm doing because it's good for me. It's good for the world. It's good for other people. And like I was I was writing an article on the pink tax the other day and it's 
It's about how all of these women's products are priced at a percentage higher than men's products. And it's a systemic problem. But the whole time I'm thinking, we could solve a lot of this by just not buying these new products. Some of them, like soap and stuff, is unavoidable. But there are some things where we could eliminate a lot of this production and show companies that this isn't the kind of thing that we want by just not buying into the bigger market. So that and then simplicity is just having a simpler lifestyle. So I really equate it to schedule simplicity. So when you put your schedule out in a list and make sure that everything on it is something that you have to do or want to do. So eliminating things you feel obligated to do or the season may not be right for it. So just making sure your schedule reflects the person that you want to be and the person you want to be seen as. And then simplicity is natural byproduct of minimalism too, because then you have simple home, simple cleaning routine, simple systems. So it's all it's all to eliminate stress of like a cluttered mind schedule and home. So these are the four pillars that you have for frugality. And I know earlier you mentioned, you know, Frugal is not really the sexiest word. You know, people want to talk about entrepreneurship and that sort of thing. But as far as frugality, when you look at it, there's often a debate, you know, between the line between being frugal and being cheap. And I know for me, you know, a lot of times it's, I kind of like to think of it as when it starts to impact someone else's life, that's when I feel like, okay, now you're just being cheap. How do you feel about that? Like, how do you make sure that you are just being frugal and not going too far? Yeah, I agree. That's the hard line. When it starts to, impact other people, that's being cheap. When it's inconveniencing your life, that's being cheap. If it's illegal, that's also being cheap. Frugality is anything that makes your life simpler, easier, less expensive, but doesn't harm or negatively or even neutrally impact other people. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, do you have any good examples of like a frugal versus cheap common? I'm sure you're probably deeper in the frugality world than I am. Like, are there any common ones that people debate on like this? That's frugal or that's cheap. So the biggest thing that I think of in the environmentalist category is that buying fast fashion, it affects everyone down the line from minimal wage workers delivering the stuff to all the way to the below minimum wage workers making the garments. And so that's why I'm so passionate about uh, buying secondhand is to completely bypass that system because you save a lot of money buying cheap clothes from Walmart and Target and H&M, but you are impacting negatively or neutrally somebody that you don't even know. And then also like in the simplicity realm, when you commit to do things that you may not have the mental capacity to do that is affecting other people. Like if you're doing something, you should be all there, like be able to be all in. So not expending so much of your energy. Like it's, I I think of it like spending, spending money, you're spending energy. Like don't spend too much of your energy in places you don't want to spend it because it does impact other people. Yeah. And speaking of that, I mean, do you have any cautionary tales of where you went to try to do something that you thought would just be a good frugal thing, but then it turned out to be so involved or such a headache that you really regretted it. Oh my gosh. So we have like a, like a twofold example. We bought this RV in hopes of flipping it, just gutting it and flipping it. And we bought a really, it was an old RV. 
older than we should have purchased because it was cheap. And we had to put a lot more money into it than we anticipated. It took a lot more time. It sold for a lot less. And if we had just spent some extra money up front on a a newer RV that needed less work, we could have done the same thing and expended less time, less money, less energy, and probably made the same or more profit. That's the most recent one for us. I can 100% relate to that. I bought a bike when I I lived in Australia for five months. I bought a bike off the equivalent of Craigslist for $25 and it didn't shift. The brakes didn't work. And I was like, I should have just like spent $25 more to get one that worked. There's so Mm -hmm. many instances where I've definitely (laughs) gone over the frugal line into cheap and it was like just such a negative effect on my life. So I really like how you kind of point that out when you don't, you don't want to expend extra energy if it's like just to save like five bucks. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because that's why people don't like frugality because it's associated with like couponing and hitting (laughs) up all the Black Friday sales and and all that. And yeah, I hate couponing. It takes so much work for so little benefit. I mean, more power to you if you love couponing. Like that's good for you. But (laughs) I cannot. (laughs) What about some of like the like the social interactions maybe you've had with other friends who aren't quite on the same path that you are? So Maybe it's things that they view as being cheap, but that, you know, really aren't to you. Like, they're not an inconvenience to you. Like, when I think of an example for myself would be, you know, maybe it's coming back from the airport and I jump on the train because it's free coming back from the Boston airport versus taking an Uber. You know, I have some friends who would who would never jump on the train because it takes 30 minutes longer. To me, didn't really bother me. But have you kind of handled that from social interactions in your life? Maybe people judging you or looking at you in a weird way for, for doing things that they wouldn't do. So we actually have that conversation a lot in our podcast Facebook group because it's all about being frugal, not cheap, but people's definition of cheap and frugal are different and that's okay. What inconveniences one person, the other person doesn't care about and they don't have to value the same things and that's totally okay. So for us personally, when we were paying off debt, all of my best friends from college scattered around the state, we live in Florida. And they were all able to see each other on the weekends so they could take a day trip and go to wherever the other, you know, three or four were going. And when I started working on the weekends and working all the time, I could no longer afford to take time off work or to spend the money driving somewhere and eating out and staying somewhere and all that. So nobody really understood like why we were being quote unquote, like so strict to us, we were just on a roll from the inside. It looked like we just had this good momentum. We were like going for this financial goal, but on the outside to our friends, they weren't there. They didn't understand. They were living their best life and that was okay. It wasn't their time. Now I can go see them whenever I want and they are not going places because they are now paying off their debt and they have kids. And so It's a cautionary tale on one side, like don't let it get you down. If other people don't understand what you're doing, like if it works for you and you're happy, maintain the momentum, but also don't have your head so far in the sand that you can't like look up and enjoy the season that you're all in because you're all going to get to the place where you're focusing on your finances at different times. So sometimes if your friends aren't where you're at, and you really value them, you take a weekend off and you spend the money to go see them and hang out with them because you don't get that time back. But you just really have to balance 
how often you do that. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, actually, as you were talking about that, because at the beginning of the podcast, you really stressed how like young Jen, you did not want to quote unquote live under a rock and not do any of these fun things. I mean, how much like were you literally not going out at all hanging with your friends or is it like you just said where you were just like it was more sprinkling it in instead of going out to the bars every single weekend or going out to some new city in Florida every single weekend? So it actually caused me to make new friends. So having relationships and being in community is number one priority for me. My love language is quality time. I need people. So if I couldn't be going on these road trips or going out to bars with certain friends, then I made new friends that I could do free things with. And so all that looked like was posting on Facebook, hey, we're going to this beach bar for free shots. Anybody want to come? And that is exactly, that is the story word for word, how I met my frugal friend's co-host, Jill. Um, (laughs) Yeah, her her husband posted on Facebook, hey, anybody want to hang out? They were in town. And I responded like, yeah, we're going to this beach bar for free shots. The rest is history. Or any free events that were in town or having people over to our house, anything free. I would just post on Facebook and see if anybody wanted to come. Because the people that said yes, those were my new people. They're relationships I could have missed out on if I wasn't trying to save money. Like I would have not gotten close to these people that are still in my life and I still love. I cut down on a few relationships during the time, but I gained a few really special relationships. So you've been on this frugal journey for a while. Just curious if you could give us some kind of data points of what your spending looks like now and going along with that same theme as well, you know, how much of that is being spent on experiences and travel? So instead of budgeting, we kind of do this, what I call like a simple spending system. And I think it's what a lot of people do. They just don't put a name on it, but we essentially pay all of our bills and then put towards our savings and then whatever's left, we just spend however we want. So we had a pretty bad month last month with eating out. We spent, I want to say like $300 between us, which for some people, they'll be like, whatever, that's nothing. And others will be like, whoa, you're not frugal. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But the month got away from us. And like, I have a five month old and cooking is hard. We just have spent so much time weeding out the things that we don't care about that we're pretty confident in what we buy now. Like whatever we buy, we're not embarrassed or ashamed of. We just spend money on because we know we're putting, you know, we're maxing out our IRAs. We're contributing to 401ks. Like we know we're on track with our goals. So like all the rest of the money, we spend it proudly. So something you've mentioned several times that we haven't really dug in yet is you have a five-month-old. How has the five-month-old or even knowing about the five-month-old changed your journey, if not at all? And like, how do you handle having all those different baby expenses? Justin and I do not have kids, so I don't know exactly what goes into having a five-month-old, but I'm guessing it's not free. Right. No, it's not. And now that I've been a parent for five months, I'm an expert. So let me give you all my advice. So we got we got a lot of his stuff for free. So baby stuff is used for several months at a time and then it is unusable. And I mean, I'm already, I love getting things secondhand, but there are a lot of free places like mom swaps and the next door app or churches and stuff. There's a lot of places to get free baby stuff. 
the thing that has impacted us the most are the medical bills. We've had some job changes this year, so we have been on three different insurance plans, and that meant meeting three different deductibles and all of the things that are not covered for him because he doesn't value his life as much as we do. He he doesn't have any self-preservation sense. So he had a, a cough last week, and I actually had to take him to the doctor this morning and get one of those albuterol treatments. They're like, yeah, they'll give you a nebulizer at the front desk. And then they're like, it'll be $50. And I'm like, what? They said give. <laughs> I didn't realize there was an exchange for this. And then I have to really, like my initial tendency is to stop and think, how can I get this cheaper? But my baby needs an albuterol treatment in four hours and I can't find one that quickly. Like maybe somebody can, but like I am not that skilled. So I had to shell out the $50 and then the $12 for the albuterol. And that's an expense I did not plan to pay today. But then, yeah, and doctor's appointments. So having enough room, wiggle room in our budget to just pay for that stuff and not have it affect the rest of our spending has been a lifesaver because we'll always, we'll keep a couple hundred dollars stashed away, like mentally for things like that. And every single month since he's been bored, it has all been spent on medical bills. So basically it's just a medical fund now. But yeah, so there's not really a way that you can save. Like you should spend money on making sure your child is healthy. You should not skimp on that. As much as I would like to say there's a frugal way you can find, you know, secondhand medical care, there is not. But everything else pretty much you can find for free or cheap. So it's all about balance with those kids. So you talk about, you know, that's something that, and as obviously you should, you feel like you, you need to spend money on. You don't like cut corners on that. Sometimes in the, when people look at frugality, another negative thing that they see is maybe that it looks a little selfish, like they're keeping it all to themselves, they're kind of hoarding it. Is any part of your journey involved things like charity or giving back? Is that part of your overall plan, whether it be currently or in the future? Absolutely. We do not give as much as we want to. And that comes from the mindset of for spending so much time paying off debt. We were just sending so much money there and then wanting to max out our retirement accounts and having so many financial goals really got us away from our giving mindset. But we've always been really passionate about investing in our communities and really seeing like local change. And I was talking with um, Bob from SeedTime.com, and they had him and his wife had the same problem. And the way they solved it was by instead of tracking their net worth going up, they tracked their giving over time and watched that number go up. And by just switching mindsets from wanting to see the high net worth to seeing the high giving caused them to be great givers without affecting their net worth. It's only continued to go up. And so that is something I plan to start implementing in the new year is focusing less on my net worth and more on my giving. And yeah, so I know that wasn't necessarily the question, but yes, I love charitable giving and I want to do more of it. So Jen, I mean, we've spanned the gamut. We've covered pretty much everything to do with frugality and mindset and all these awesome things. I know you have your new book coming out, Pay Off Your Debt for Good. Is there anything further that we didn't talk about in this conversation today that you do cover in the book? So I cover all of these topics like more in depth and it's 
probably less about frugality and more about the mindset and maintaining momentum and focus and motivation because paying off debt is a multiple year journey for most people. And nobody's really talking about all of the struggles and the obstacles that can come at you during those few years. The conversation usually stops at make a budget and start a side hustle. And so I try to cover like in 21 action steps, things you can do to sustain your debt-free journey, but it can also be used if you're pursuing financial independence. So once you're done paying off debt, some of these struggles, some of these mindsets, these habits still like come up and sometimes even more so when you don't have like a really tangible goal, it's more like abstract, they can really come up. So I I just want to help people start a conversation and work through things that I had trouble working through when we were paying off debt because nobody really was talking about them. Awesome, Jen. So if people want to learn more about you, they want to check out the book, where are some of the best places they can do that? So my website is modernfrugality.com. And I have a resource library there where I'm posting freebies all the time. So you can sign up to those. And then all of my books, including the new one, Pay Off Your Debt for Good, are available on Amazon. And you can just search for those. Those are also on the sidebar of my webpage. And I hang out on Instagram sometimes at Modern Frugality. You can reach out to me there if you want to chat. And I am also on the Frugal Friends podcast with my frugal friend, Jill. And we have episodes out every Friday. We take the things that the internet says about how to save money and we sort through them and tell you what to take and what to leave and what we think about them. So different ways to save money, but no couponing. (laughs) (laughs) As a fellow, you know, frugalite, I completely agree with your sentiment about couponing. People often ask me if that's how I get my groceries so cheap. And I'm like, no, I'm never sitting around clipping coupons. But (laughs) so obviously... Clipping coupons is not going to be the answer to this question, but we always like to ask our guests, what is one tangible tip you have for people who are on their path to financial independence? My biggest tip is to stay in the present, live in the present and have your goals and you should be pursuing a goal all the time. I wholeheartedly believe that. But yeah, don't have your head so far down in the sand that you don't see what's going on around you and live life. Enjoy it now. And even if it adds a few years to your FI timeline, it's worth it to have the latte now and enjoy the time with friends than to retire early, like a day early and have two lattes. (laughs) Okay, Jen. So this is the most important question of the podcast. It is the wild card question. I'm not ready. Justin's not ready. So you're definitely not ready. Mm -mm. But are you ready? (laughs) I'm, I'm here for it. So we've kind of teased this topic, but I want to hear like the worst one you've ever had, frugal versus cheap. And afterward, you're just like, wow, that was really cheap. It was like embarrassingly cheap because I I have like 10 I can think of for myself off the top of my head, but I'm sure you probably got a couple. (laughs) So the one that's at the top of my mind, it may not be the worst ever, but it's the worst right now. We have this couch that we got. It was new, which was maybe the first mistake. We got it online when I was pregnant, and it's just the worst couch. It's so uncomfortable. It's made for very short people. It's sagging, and it's not even a year old. Like, it's just the worst couch. And I want (laughs) to pay as much money as possible to get a new couch as long as it is not this couch. I can't think of anything I like 
less in my life right now than this couch. All around, I hate how we got it. I hate how it feels. I hate how it looks now. <laughs> you know, you ever see some? You ever like dislike certain things about a person, and then for no reason you start disliking all the things you liked about them, and then it's just this person is the things I think about this person aren't reality. It's just I've got this mindset, and that's probably what this couch <laughs> is. Like I just I dislike everything about it. Well, Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show and helping us battle that debate of cheap versus frugal and giving us all the tips how to, you know, to live a really meaningful life while still not going overboard with your spending. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. So cool to hang out with you guys. Man, Cody, that's definitely someone that we can both relate to because we're both very frugal. What'd you think about the episode? One thing I really liked was the four pillars of frugality that you talked about with them being minimalism, environmentalism, simplicity, and value-based spending. And all these things kind of go hand in hand. Like you might not think that environmentalism and minimalism go with frugality, but just like the concept of having less and wanting less material items leads you to be more frugal because you're not spending all your discretionary income on these things that may not bring you joy. Yeah. And a lot of things that we spend our money on that aren't giving us joy, they've just become part of our lives. They just become these habits that we have. And that was one thing we talked about in the episode is how to break these bad spending habits and kind of build some frugal ones. To me, that's where I really enjoy creating my own budget and putting things out in front of me and not, I guess budget's probably the wrong word. It's more of like tracking what your money's going. So that way you just have visibility into it, not necessarily setting limits on them. That's a big, you know, misconception that I think is out there. So you know, once you get all that stuff in front of you, you can start to see trends. And it also gives you things that you can target and set goals and say, hey, I want to cut that out, see if it hurts. If it doesn't, then that means it wasn't meaningful. It's not a big deal. And you can just continue on cutting things out until you get to a happy place. Yeah, I think that's super important, Justin. And I think the exact language she used was a value-based spending lifestyle. And to me, it's exactly what you're just talking about there. Like, so many people get stuck in this vicious loop where I think they almost trick themselves into thinking that, like this car is going to make them happy or this other thing is going to make them happy. When in reality, the things that might make them happy are, you know, hanging out with friends, going back to this Friendsgiving we were just talking about, Justin, or it might be getting outside. It might be doing these things that aren't directly tied to money. Now, don't get me wrong. There are definitely things tied to money that are fun, but just understand and know the consequences of spending money on the, on these fun things. Of course, you could go out and spend $200 on dinner every night and that might have a ton of value to you. But if that's making you live paycheck to paycheck, that's definitely not a good way to live. So there is a healthy balance. There is a happy medium. And that seems to be where Jen is with her lifestyle. Yeah, I definitely agree that there's a happy medium to be had there. I think anyone who kind of knows me on a personal level knows that I travel constantly. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, just got back from Colorado skiing. I've been to so many concerts this year, been to Mexico, been down to Texas several times to visit folks, like just been all over constantly on the road. But yet, you know, I save now over 80% of my income and I have a good income, but I'd spend way, way below, you know, the average that you would get if you're just kind of Googling, you know, what is a person who lives in Boston spend? What is housing cost? Well, you know, what is it? What is the total cost of living? Like I'm nowhere near those numbers. So that's one thing that definitely I would like to highlight is, it doesn't have to be, you know, this deprivation. It can still be a really fun life and they're not mutually exclusive. You can have a really low spending and a really awesome life. But Justin, I just want to spend all my money on. Whoa. What is it, Cody? It's the call to action, man. And so this week's call to action kind of is in line with the value-based spending that Jen talked about. And so our challenge to you this week is to just look at your budget, look at the things you're spending money on 
and identify three things that you can cut out, you know, for months, years, hopefully to come that you're not going to miss. That you could say, you know what, this does not bring me that much joy for the amount of money I'm spending on it and cut those three things out of your budget. And if you get a chance to do this week's call to action, you're sitting down, you're picking out those three things, and you kind of want to reference back to this episode in any way, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash gin. That's J-E-N, thefyshow.com slash gin. And as always, we would encourage you to come over and t- be a part of this awesome community that, we're, that we've started via our Facebook group page at thefyshow.com slash community. And as always, thanks for listening. And if you get a chance to leave one of those five-star reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, that's super helpful for us to find more great guests and just keep this thing rolling. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Mm-hmm.